0: Good morning. It is very good to see each of you. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Hope. And we are absolutely thrilled that you chose to worship with us today. Whether you are here in the building with us or whether you are worshiping online at home, we are thrilled that you chose to be with us today. Let me just say uh, there was quite a bit of buzz in the air in this building this morning as I was able to see several of you who perhaps are here for your first Sunday back since COVID all began, and we are excited that you are here today. But, but here's the deal. As they walked in and I chatted with them, here's what they said. We have been watching online every Sunday, and it is so good to be back in the building. And so I am thrilled that you're here, whether this is your first time or your hundredth time or first time since COVID, or you've been here every week since COVID started. Either way, we are thrilled that you chose to worship with us because we are a church family. And uh, it's really cool. We're starting a new series. It's going to be talking about what does it look like uh, to be a church family together. I would like to reiterate what was shared a moment ago by John. We would love to be able to reach out to you and kind of connect with you and answer questions about the church and things like that. So if you're a guest, uh, do us a favor if you don't mind and fill out a connection card. You can drop that in the offering boxes. We're dismissed a little bit later, or you can do that online uh, because we want, like I said, to really connect with you and uh, what's going on in your life. I wanted to give one quick announcement. It's printed in the worship guide, but I'm really super excited about it. This past year, we decided instead of doing one missions offering in the month of December, let's split them up and do different offerings at different times. So we did one for international missions called Lottie Moon back in December, and we received over $12,000 for that. And then we took another one up this past month, and here's the deal. This is going to North American missions, church planting, resourcing missionaries. Sending the gospel out into uh, the United States of America, into Canada, into all its territories. And here's the deal: right after receiving a twelve thousand special love uh, offering—not love offerings—twelve thousand dollars missions offering in December, we received ten thousand two hundred sixty-six dollars and one penny towards uh, uh, Annie Armstrong. So I would love to celebrate what God did with that, because here's the deal: God has been faithful through His people as we have received more than we did last year towards our general offering which allows us to do ongoing ministry every week in the life of our church and in our community and all of that and then on top of that we've also received these special mission offerings that are even higher than they were last year as well God has been faithful as he is using you and using us to send his message around the world so This morning we start a new series. Hopefully you've got a Bible with you. If you don't, we've got Bibles out in the the welcome areas and you're welcome to pick that up and take it as a gift from us to you or you can pull up your Bible on your phone, whatever you need to do. We're going to start a new series today in the book of 1 Corinthians. Hopefully you picked up a worship guide. If you did not, online you can get it. There's sermon notes on the back and all of that good stuff. But we are in the middle of a series called Foundations New Testament. And we're walking through the New Testament together as a family. And so we are in the book of 1 Corinthians today. And and you may have noticed the logo. Um, You also may know about me. I don't really know much about what these things are here other than I know they're instruments. Uh, When I was a kid, I played handbells at my choir. You should have really seen me. I was incredible. Uh, That's the only instrument I've ever played. It's interesting if you know much about handbells, there's like the bass. Bell that plays one note during the whole song, that they gave me that one for some reason. I don't really know why, but anyway, they did. And the reason I point this out maybe you saw on the graphic all kinds of different instruments. I think this is a saxophone. I think your last name is supposed to start with a G if you play it, but this is a saxophone. Played a certain style of music. Maybe picture it. I'm not going to blow into it because it would not be pretty if I did. This, uh, I was somebody beforehand, I always say the wrong thing. This is a trombone, I think, right? Is that right? I don't know if it slides or, oh, how cool is that? Like when you're marching with this, like don't bop anybody. But anyway, so you got a trombone here. And then I've been told to be really careful with this one because these are kind of older ones. This one's not as old. So anyway, this is the French horn, not to be confused with the English horn. And so this is another instrument. You're like, what is he doing? Do you notice there's different shapes on each of these? Different lengths. I said be careful what I I accidentally maybe don't, there we go. All right there we go all right so uh they're all different shapes right and then you've got these other instruments up here that are different style instruments they've all got different shapes styles lengths. they make different noises different sounds but when you put them all together and I'm not the one playing them it's a beautiful sound but what would happen what would happen if each one of these instruments on their own as if they could do that or the person playing them decided I'm gonna go out and do my own thing I don't want to play that note. I want to play this other note, and they did their own thing. It would be a disastrous noise like if I were to play them. Perhaps you see on there, the, the title of this series is Unique in Design, United in Purpose. Because the church body is just like these instruments. Each one of us are uniquely designed by God, none of us are the same. Thankfully, there's only one Alan Pittman in the bunch. That's maybe more than we need. But the reality is that as God designs each of us to be uniquely designed, we are united or we're to be united in purpose so that we can be busy about the church of God being a disciple, making disciples, being the church, all for the glory of God. And in 1 Corinthians, we're going to see how God brings the church family or the church body together let me encourage you to do one thing for me this week like maybe even right now I need your help as I prepare my sermon for next Sunday and, and, and here's why and here's how consider what this says in 1st Corinthians chapter 12 verse 26 he's talking about the body of Christ I'll be preaching this message next week but verse 26 of chapter 12 says this If one member or one member of the church body, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Can I tell you what I have hated the most about this last stinking year of COVID? I've not been able to stand in the welcome area as folks come in and hear your story like I'm accustomed to doing there's many of you that have suffered this past year and perhaps I'm aware of it and perhaps I'm not there's many of you that have rejoiced this past year and perhaps I'm aware of it and perhaps I'm not I mean today we're celebrating there's a new baby in our church a baby was born this morning I'm not going to like say which family or I don't know if they're ready for us to tell but there was a baby born how exciting is that we celebrate as a church family but COVID has made it difficult to be the church together like God has called us to be and we're not able to rejoice like we should. We're not able to mourn like we should. It's high time we do that, so here's how you can help me. Go, when you get a chance, to the website or on the QR code, at the top of the QR code links, there's a thing called Better Together. It's a two-question survey. And and there's also another place to find it at the bottom of your your sermon notes. It tells you where it is. All these locations, same survey, just three different ways to grab it. You can go there. You can answer this question, what are some ways you have been honored this year? And the other question is, what are some ways you have suffered this year? It's going to be on social media this week as well. I want to hear from all of you. And as I receive it, it will allow me to share that with some of the church staff. And then on Sunday morning next week when I preach this text, collectively, anonymously, we will grieve as a church family and we will celebrate as a church family as we acknowledge the things that have come about in our lives this past year. And as we are reminded that God is calling us to not be a place where we come in and listen to a dude talk for 30 or 40 or 45 minutes, maybe talk once or twice in the morning, and then we leave and not together. We are a church body. We are a church family. We're called to do life together. So would you help me, please? Would you go to the survey at some point this week, the earlier in the week, the better, and fill out the survey. All right. So that's kind of where we're headed in this series. But this morning, we're headed to this topic of I know my rights. And we're going to find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul wrote this letter to a group of Christians in a church in a city by the name of Corinth, which was in Greece, it is in Greece, And he wrote it because they were having all kinds of difficulties. In fact, this letter, which is, I think, 16 chapters long, has 10 different things that he addresses that are issues within the life of the church. And and, and when you boil it down to the answer, here's what Paul says. Get back to the gospel and get back to the fact that you are to be a united body of Christ. And so in this series today and tomorrow, Uh, tomorrow today and next week we'll look at what does it look like to live out the gospel and to be the united body of Christ that we are while we're unique in design we are united in purpose and in Corinth they knew all about their rights they knew what their rights were they were big on their individual rights in fact here in the United States of America aren't we fairly big on our individual rights And, and No pun intended, but rightfully so. We should be concerned about our rights and our freedoms. That's a good thing. Listen to these words. Maybe you recognize when they were written just a couple hundred years ago. We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Anybody have an idea where those came from? The Declaration of Independence, right? Our country's always been big on rights but here's the sad thing all too often the individuals of our church uh, of our of our of our uh nation i'm sorry are focused on my rights while neglecting the rights of others we like to champion our rights but not always the rights of others when those words were written let's be truthful did our nation really live those out entirely absolutely not people of color they didn't qualify for that. In some ways, many ways, women, they didn't qualify for those words either. They didn't have voting rights. And so our nation, while we've been big on rights, has not always been on focus on seeing everyone's rights be met. Now, I do want a segment here. This message that I'm preaching today is not on these kinds of rights that the United States focuses on. Rather, it's on the rights that are ours as a member of the body of Christ, but the Principle that holds true is just like our nation sometimes focuses on our individual rights to the neglect of others, all too often within the church body, Living Hope, or any other church, I'm focused on my rights and I forget what other people around me need and I don't care for them like I should. So, we're not looking at civil rights today, we're looking about the rights that are found within the body of Christ and pursuing them without doing so at the expense of others let's look at the text together first corinthians chapter 8 beginning in verse 7 i'm going to read through the end of the chapter paul is in the middle of explaining some things you may later want to go back and read the first part of chapter 8 but i'm going to pick up in verse 7 and he responds to the rest of the chapter by saying however not all possess this knowledge we'll talk about what that knowledge is in a minute But some, through former associations with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I want us to walk through this text and consider what is taking place. The the Corinthian church had written to Paul and said, Hey, Paul, we've got a few questions we need you to answer. And here's one of the questions that they apparently asked Paul. Paul had helped plant this church and they saw him as a spiritual father and they said, hey Paul, can we eat meat that was previously sacrificed to idols? And you're like, dude, that's a random question. Why are they asking Paul, can we eat a meat, meat that was sacrificed to an idol? Why the randomness? Well, it wasn't random. The city of Corinth was a very religious place, but they worshipped other gods, other idols. It was a pagan city. In fact, scholars say that there were about 12 temples in the city of Corinth to these other false gods. And so what took place in these temples is they would show up with, a, with, with, with animals and they would have them sacrificed and then the meat would be left over. A portion would be used for the pagan ceremony and then a portion of it would be left for them to eat there as a feast in the temple and or they could sell the scraps in the market. And so what was taking place is The people in Corinth that were members of the Christian church said, we like meat. Like, meat is good. I guess they were Texans. I don't know. They loved meat. And they're like, we really want to eat this meat. And the only way we really can get it is if it comes kind of from the leftovers of this pagan ceremonies. But but Paul, it's got to be okay for us to eat, right? Because we're not doing it in the context of a religious ceremony. Well, we look at verse 1. Go back with me to verse 1. And Paul begins his answer by saying this he's changing topics he's now at this topic He says now concerning food offered to idols we know that all of us possess knowledge this knowledge puffs up but love builds up what he begins with is saying guys there's a knowledge that you are probably well aware of and he spells it out in the next few verses this knowledge is we all are aware that these idols are false they're fake they're not real So therefore, there's nothing magical about this meat, and therefore it's okay for us to eat this meat even though it was sacrificed to idols. However, he says, don't focus so much on this knowledge, rather focus on your love for one another. In the course of this conversation, Paul says, technically, theologically, you can eat this meat because eating meat or not eating meat does not defile a person before God in fact if you remember this verse here's what jesus says about this topic it wasn't about idle meat but it was about eating and what makes you uh, unclean in matthew 15 11 jesus says it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person but what comes out of the mouth this defiles a person so jesus says it's not what we eat that makes us unclean or not so paul says the same sort of thing and so then paul begins to talk to these two different groups of people that were a part of the church in Corinth. in some ways you could You could say that they don't have these official titles, but you could say one is kind of progressive and the other is restrictive. The progressive group says, I'm focused on freedom, and therefore I know in Christ I'm free to eat this meat, and I have no problem eating this meat. Then you've got the restrictive group that says, I'm focused more on personal morality, and therefore I'm choosing not to eat this meat. So, I know what you're thinking right now. Alan, we spent a long time talking about instruments that I don't play and eating idle meat that I'm never confronted with. What does this have to do with me today? Because I didn't come to church saying, oh my goodness, I hope Alan answers the question I've been waiting for all week. Is it okay for us to eat idle meat? Can we please do it? Here's the key real question. The question that Paul is seeking to answer, the question I'm seeking to answer for us and with us this morning is this. How should members of a church exercise their Christian liberties? Because all of us have Christian liberties. All of us are free in Christ. And yet, how do we exercise those liberties? And should we consider those that are around us? So here's the first point that I have on the sermon notes. Number one says, instead of focusing on knowing our rights we should focus on loving those around us instead of focusing on our rights we should focus on loving those around us look back at verse one i I read it a moment ago and he's talking about this knowledge and he says hey all of us have this knowledge but he says in the end of verse one but this knowledge can end up puffing us up but love builds us up you see the corinthians by golly they knew their rights They knew that these other people that had a problem with them eating the meat were wrong. They had every right to eat this meat, and they would partake in that meat because that meat was good. They knew their rights. And their theology was correct. They could eat it. But their theology also was almost exclusively focused on, these are my rights therefore I should eat this meat because this is what I can do and what Paul is saying is be very careful even when you correctly know your rights don't allow that knowledge to puff you up but instead love those around you apparently there was some bit of arrogance or haughtiness of this group that's kind of looking at these others and they're like oh my goodness can you believe they're really bothered by us eating this meat how ridiculous if they knew god like we knew god we could they would eat it too so paul says be careful because knowledge will puff us up but love builds i think what paul is saying is this when we focus on our liberties and our rights and our freedoms in christ we must always remember the community and not just ourselves we are not to be a Christian out on an island saying, is this okay for me to do? No, this should instead be, how does it affect those around me? You see, all too often, here's the question that we'll ask. Can I do X, Y, Z? When the better question is, should I do X, Y, Z? So, could they eat the idol meat? Yes. Yes. But now Paul is trying to shift them so they can see, to answer the question, should I, even though I can eat this meat, should I eat this meat? And he says that the answer should be found in love for Christ and for one another. You see, if we have knowledge, our knowledge is based on truly knowing Christ and living in the right relationship with him so that 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 in turn affects how we make decisions and respond in other situations i think let me focus for just a second on this idea of knowledge and corporate stuff so i said paul says that knowledge can puff us up but love will build us up in other words we are focused on relationships with one another i believe that he is actually hitting on some discipleship issues to be a disciple means to follow jesus to be a disciple of jesus does that simply mean i have knowledge of jesus or does it mean i have knowledge of jesus that is then lived out in love the answer is the second one because if all i do is build up my biblical knowledge then all i do is say well look at me i know so much about the bible but rather if i seek to know christ and then apply it to my life and apply it in such a way that i love those around me then i'm living out what it means to be a disciple So in our church, when we say be a disciple, make disciples, may we never think that discipleship is exclusively knowledge. Rather, may we understand that discipleship is understanding who Christ is so that I can then live it out in community with one another. If you've heard us talk about our hope groups, which meet during the course of the week in people's homes or on Zoom, the reason we have hope groups is so that we can do life together and we can experience what does it mean to live this out in community. If you've heard me mention d-groups, I'm a part of a d-group. I've got a couple of guys in my group, and we aren't so much focused on the knowledge of just pouring into, as a group, studying the Bible so heavily in our hour together. Rather, we are talking about what we've studied during the course of the week, and then we are seeking to live it out together and hold each other accountable. Why do we have our Bible study groups that meet? Like one of our men's group, our women's group. Why do we have them? Yes, they're gaining knowledge, but they aren't seeking to just gain knowledge they're seeking to live that out in community together so let's be careful discipleship is not about knowledge alone rather discipleship is about gaining knowledge of who christ is and then living it out in love with those around us now let's look at verse seven we're still on this idea of focusing not on our rights but rather loving those around us see what he says in verse seven now when he uses the word knowledge here in verse 7 he's talking about this knowledge of yes technically I could eat this idol meat that's what he means by this knowledge here he says however not all possess this knowledge but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience, being weak is defiled here's what's going on he says many of you have been followers of Jesus for quite some time and you have this knowledge that you could eat this meat and it's not a form of worshiping this idol and you're okay with that and theologically you are correct he says however there's some who are weaker and he's not talking negatively about them he's saying they're newer to their faith they're newer Christians they're more immature in their faith because they haven't progressed as far they have experience of having in the past worshiped in these temples And so when they see this idol meat, they cannot disassociate this idol meat with idol worship. And therefore, they, if they were to eat this idol meat, it would ruin their conscience. It would not be good for them at all. He's not talking negatively about these people. He's just saying that's the matter of fact of the situation. So he says, whenever you think about eating this idol meat, take into consideration these other people and how it will impact their conscience. So what's a conscience a conscience is our inner voice it's from god who tells us he tells us he uses our experiences to help us know right from wrong and then respond accordingly and, and some people's conscience was not allowing them to eat idol meat let me give you a, kind of a modern example although i don't know how modern it is when i was a kid the question was oh can we listen to secular music or do we have to just listen to christian music right I I happen to mainly listen to Christian music, but, but if I walk away and go, my conscience won't allow me to ever listen to this secular music, I shouldn't force that on other people. Rather, I should live that out in my own life, right? And so in this scenario, if a person says my conscience won't ever allow me no exclusions to ever listen to secular music, then they need to follow that conscience. There were people in the Corinthian church that says, my conscience won't allow me to eat this idol meat because when I see it and I smell it and I, and I think of it, I think of idol worship, and therefore I have to say no to even eating it. Paul's not running them down. He's just describing where they are. Here's what Paul's saying. Guys, don't be so focused on your individual rights that you neglect those around you. In America, as American citizens, especially the white evangelical church, we are so focused on our individual rights and we forget the community at large. May we remember that my decisions impact those around me. So that's the first thing we see. Here's the second point on your notes. Rights are not to be exercised without first considering how they will impact others. It builds on that last one. It's not a major difference in wording, but we need to consider how it will impact others. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, but take care that this right of yours, you can eat this idol meat, but be careful this right does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. We watched that video a second ago. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak? To eat food offered to idols. Did you know that pursuing our rights in Christ, if we're not careful, can at times cause our brother or sister to stumble? It's right there. Paul has written it down for us to see. What I think he's saying is how would it look like to an immature or new Christian? If he or she were to see you sitting down at the supper table and you're eating this meat, would it impact their walk with Christ? And if so, you need to avoid eating that idle meat. I know what some of us are thinking, but Alan, it's not on me what others do. It's their responsibility. Like, they need to mind their own business, they need to handle their business with God, and what I do should not impact them. And to a point, it feels that way. Let me give you an example in my household. Perhaps you can relate to this. I like to walk around my house barefooted. I also like to walk around my house without always looking down at the ground. I also dislike very much when my barefoot lands on a Lego and my foot is about to like fall off in pain. Ashley's response to me is, Alan, look where you're walking. My response is, They need to move them Legos. truth of the matter is I should look where I'm walking. At the same time, the truth of the matter is if my boys would move their Legos, it would not be a stumbling block for me. And in our life with Christ, our decisions do impact others around us. They just do. If I exercise my rights, is it causing my brother or sister to fall into sin and if so, that's a big deal. Look back at verse nine. He he says there, take care that this right of yours. I want to look at the word right. R I G H T. I'm from East Texas, so I say that word a little funny. But right, the word right. Here is what this word means go back and kind of look at what the greek means for the word here it's it's interesting i I found out yes it has to do with freedom and liberty and authority and permission but it also has to do with the power to evaluate it's this idea that i can evaluate can i should i take advantage of my right because if i do what kind of impact will have it on on others in fact the word right here it is within the greek has to do with taking place in relationships and therefore it doesn't just uh, imply freedom for the individual it implies freedom for the community so whenever i think about my rights in christ i need to consider that it's not just me it's how it impacts the community around us as i was studying this week i came across the word bubble and it said that christians should understand that we can't make decisions in a bubble that doesn't impact others in the year of COVID, when I read the word bubble, I automatically th- thought of things like NCAA tournament. They had a COVID bubble, right? Like theoretically, there's this bubble and you don't come out and don't go in and, and we keep COVID away from us and all that. Well, did you find out that even in those scenarios where they had COVID bubbles, there still was penetration there and people would still end up with COVID? The reality is there is no such thing as a true bubble. What we do impacts others around us. So in our Christian life, I can't make a decision in a vacuum rather my decision impacts those that are around me as well so let's look at the final point the final point on your notes say anytime our rights cause others to sin we are actually sinning against christ it's a big deal as i looked back at verse nine and saw the word stumbling block i thought well, what does it say in other translations or paraphrases there's a paraphrase it's not a translation but there's a paraphrase called the message and eugene peterson words his portion of the paraphrase in verse 9 about stumbling blocks he said be careful that we're not carelessly in a way we don't live our rights out in carelessly in a way that leads a fellow believer to be thrown off track so whenever i create a stumbling block for others i cause them to be thrown off track made me think of falling off the wagon i don't know whether you have heard this about me or not but i kind of like to drink dr pepper like dr pepper is like god's drink straight from heaven it's amazing but here's a uh, preach it brother preach it so about a year and a half ago i said you know what i'm getting closer to the 50, 50 years old like i need to get healthier like eating so much sugar okay i still do that but drinking so much sugar is not good for me so I'm like i'm gonna stop buying dr pepper so here's the deal guys it's been like almost a year and a half since i bought dr pepper and took it to the house But I also want to reprimand some of y'all. Some of y'all trying to kick me off this Dr. Pepper wagon. And you come to my office with meetings, and you bring me bringing Dr. Pepper. I like it, though. It's good. (laughs) But when you bring that Dr. Pepper, it causes me to stumble. (laughs) The reality is this. Whenever we make decisions in our lives, if we're not careful, we can actually cause or contribute towards someone else's choice to fall into sin. So here's what's going on with the idol meat. People are eating the idol meat. The weaker Christians see the stronger people who have this knowledge about Christ and they're eating the idol meat and they go, you know what? It must be okay to eat. So then the weaker Christian begins to eat and scarf down that meat. But here's the deal. When they do it, they feel like they are worshiping an idol while they eat the meat. And so for them, it is sin to eat that meat. And because of my liberty and my freedom, I cause them to stumble. And sin before God. So we must be careful how we interact with others. And not cause them to stumble. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, and so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed. We're going to look at the word destroyed in a second. The brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding his conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Paul says this, whenever you cause your brother to stumble, you cause him to be destroyed. And he says he's not just a random person, rather it's a person that Christ died for himself and you are destroying the work of Christ in that man or woman's life whenever you cause them to stumble. It's interesting, uh, again, I, I say this most times I refer to Greek, I don't know the Greek, I just study the Greek in a commentary that you can get access to as well. I'm familiar with Greek, but I do study commentary uh, on, on the Greek language, and the Greek for the word destroyed carries with it the idea of perish, lost, ruined, and, and this one also in some scenarios. I don't think it means it here, but it carries the weight with which this is happening the word destroyed can mean give over to eternal misery in hell so what i think paul is saying is there is a great spiritual danger when you take advantage of your christian liberties to the neglect of those around you and cause them to stumble and sin themselves it's not to be taken lightly There's a great weight that we see in verses 11 and 12. It's not just a minor inconvenience for our brothers, but it's devastating for them whenever we cause them to sin. And then verse 12, he says, guys, whenever you sin this way, you're actually sinning against Christ himself. All this to say, whenever we take into account our Christian liberties and freedom, Paul says take it seriously because if you don't you'll end up causing them to sin and you will be sinning against Christ yourself. Perhaps you've noticed that throughout this text Paul's concern has not been for the mature Christian and looking out for his or her rights. Rather his concern is for the weaker Christian. Those of us that are stronger in Christ, don't get puffed up with that statement, but those of us that are stronger in Christ should always exercise our rights while thinking of those around us and how it will impact them. In fact, I want to show you a little flow chart. It's going to be on the screen, hopefully here in the building as well as at home, and it's going to show you kind of a grid through which you can walk through to make decisions in, in, in your life. Perhaps you're trying to decide, should I do this or should I do that? Or can I do this, can I do that? And, and here's kind of a couple of, uh, of things to take into consideration. Uh, I do see some of you taking pictures, which is great. Along those lines, somebody on staff, remind me, and we'll post this also on um, our uh, Facebook page today. Here, here's the grid that we walk through. The first question is, does the Bible allow it? If the answer is no, then the answer is don't do it. If the Bible has a clear statement on the thing, that's the end of the discussion. Just don't do it. But if the answer is yes, the Bible allows it, then the next filter is, does my conscience allow it? If your conscience doesn't allow it, don't do it. I used the illustration of, of, of uh, music earlier. It could be that your uh, grid is related to movies. And you're like, as a family, we will never watch a radar movie. A- and if that's the case then don't give in to your uh, desire. You, well, it's the passion of Christ, and that, that's not a dirty movie. It's just radar because of graphics and, and all of that, but, and violence. But you're like, but we decide as a family we're not going to watch a radar movie. So stay clear of that, all right? So we should always listen to our conscience. But I would add um, a, another statement, which is actually in below that, and that is, does it impact other people's consciences? Because if it does, then I should avoid that as well, which brings us to those last three questions. If, it, if my conscience allows me to do this, okay, I still don't need to say yes to it. I need to look at these three further questions. What is the effect on other Christians? Remember that love is more important than knowledge. And then the second question is, well, what is the effect on non-Christians? Because the gospel is more important than our rights. If I'm running people off from Jesus Christ, then I don't need to live out that thing that I think I should be able to do. And then the third thing says this. What is the effect on my spiritual health? Because spiritual health is more important than freedom. So that's a filter. This is a possible filter that you can use to help you walk through a decision-making process about should I do X, Y, Z. It's not a foolproof measure, but I think it is a helpful measure to look through this. And then I want you to see what Paul does. I'm not saying Paul walked through that filter and said, okay, now I'm going to make a decision. But he used similar thought processes, and comes to verse 13. Paul doesn't tell them they have to do this, but Paul says, I'm choosing to do this. Paul doesn't hammer them and say, you're a bunch of idiots if you do it this way. Rather, Paul says, this is where I land. Paul says, therefore, because of everything I've said thus far, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul says, loving my brothers and sisters is more important than enjoying my rights." It's interesting, when I looked at the word never, I was going to see the Greek for the word never. And there were five different words in the Greek that combined to make our one English word never. Five words. Because it was emphasizing how strong this word never is here. The word never here means an unlimited duration of time. Literally, he would never eat meat. Not figuratively speaking, literally. It means always, forever and ever, eternally. Or like a great philosopher Randy Travis used to sing, forever and ever, forever and ever, amen. I will never eat meat if it causes my brother to stumble. I know what some of you are doing. Some of you are going, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable. I have been the whole time. Alan, you're insinuating as if I have to give up some of my rights because of my neighbor. Can I be your friend and say, if that's you, if you're nervous, then I believe there is some aspect of your liberty that has you enslaved and you are focused way too much on yourself. We, as followers of Jesus, should love him and our neighbors so much that in some of these areas we would be willing to be like Paul and say no to it so that I won't cause my brother to stumble. If I finished there and we walked out the room, it'd almost be like either a guilt trip or now I've got to summon up enough strength to do this on my own. Let me give us our foundation for this. Are you familiar with the words in Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2, Paul describes what Jesus did when he gave up his rights. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 4, reading through verse 8, he describes Jesus in this way. He begins in 4 by saying, okay, let each of you look not only to his own interest or his own rights but also the interests of others. And then in verse 5, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men." And being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross jesus our stronger brother he's not our brother he's our god but just to use that term lightly our stronger brother looked after the weaker brother us and said i'm going to give up my rights i'm going to leave have be incarnated come to this earth live a life die on the cross for their sins, so that they could experience a right relationship with Jesus is the model that we follow. And therefore, like Jesus, we should see the value of laying aside our liberties so that our weaker brothers can be in right relationship with God. I use the word brothers right then. It's interesting. The last three verses of 1 Corinthians 8 has the word brother used four different times. As a church, we are a family we work best when we work together and as I said about these instruments a minute ago if these instruments or these players decided to do their own thing it'd be a horrible sound but God has brought the church body together to play beautiful music for his glory but in order for us to do that we have to at times be willing to lay down our rights for the good of our brother What's God saying to you this morning? Is God saying, okay, Alan was kind of trespassing on my rights, and it feels a little, and I feel like my toes are being stepped on? If so, then God may be saying to you, you've got to let go of some of that. And care and love those, care for and love those around you. Others of you, you may have even heard me read this passage from Philippians, and you're like, what is that even talking about? Some of you don't know what it's like to be in right relationship with God because you've never really experienced what the gospel is all about. The knowledge that you have is the knowledge that as long as I go to church on Sunday morning, I'm good with God. As long as I'm a church member somewhere, I'm good with God. The reality is this. The only way we can be made right with God is by trusting in Jesus and him alone for the forgiveness of our sins. The Bible says that 100% of us are sinners and we are separated from God for all eternity. good news is just as we read about in philippians jesus the son of god took on human flesh remained fully god and yet took on the form of man came and walked on this earth and he died a death that he did not deserve he died for us that if we would place our faith and our trust in him ask him to forgive us of our sins we could be made right with him again so there's some of you this morning you need to say yes to Jesus and trust in that sacrifice that he paid for you and for your sins. And there's others of us that need to be invigorated to go out and live in such a way that we can point others to the hope that's found in Christ. I want to lead us in prayer. At the conclusion of the prayer, we're going to be singing a song or two of the church body so that we can have time to respond to what God is saying to us. For some of you, that means to pull out the connection card that's there in your seat in front of you. Or to get on the QR code or fill out the connection card. Let us know what spiritual decision God is leading you to make today. For some of you, it may mean that you need to come and pray here at the altar. You may want to come and talk with me. You may want to say, Alan, I need to hear more about what this means to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I would love nothing more than that opportunity to talk with you about that. Others of you may be thinking about baptism. We had baptism last week. We got another baptism coming up the first Sunday of June. Maybe that's for you, and you need to mark that down. Say yes to God this morning. Follow his leadership. If you do fill out a connection card uh, with the physical form of it, please please be sure and drop it in the offering box on the way out in a little bit. Or if you're online, we'll get those as well. Would you stand with me? I'm going to lead us in prayer. We'll sing a couple of songs, and we'll see what God's doing in this moment. God, we thank you. We thank you for a chance to be reminded that you have brought us together so that we would be united on purpose even as we are uniquely designed. God, may our decisions that we make honor you and honor those that are around us. And Father, may you have your way in this place this morning. May we respond as you're leading us to respond. May we not just walk out and be mad because our toes got stepped on, but may we sense your leadership and respond accordingly. And Father, I pray that you would be glorified through all of this. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.